So this week I was watching, um, or actually I was in a, a meeting with a group of other pastors and one of the guys brought up this video, okay? Um, does anybody watch, I don't call it this, but AGT? America's Got Talent? So you see you guys are all, mm. I'm glad none of you guys knew what that meant because I'm in the boat with you because I've never, I've watched it a few times, but I've never like gotten super sucked into it. Um, but they showed this clip of this person who came on there, and maybe you've seen it because it's gotten pretty viral, but um, this is like a seven-minute long video. This is the longest video I'll ever show in church because of just how much it takes, but, and I apologize up front that if this isn't your thing, you're just like, didn't just watch it, just go, okay, whatever, it's Nate showing a video, but um, check out this person's life, check out their story, because I believe it ties in with this passage beautifully. Um, wait, let me, let me just read this passage before we get into that, just to kind of like set us up for where we're going a little more here. So we're in um, 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7, and uh, let's charge through it. So here we go. Um, sorry, not 1 through 7, 8 through 16. That was last week. <laughs> uh, finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, Love one another and be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil for evil or insult with insult. That can be challenging to do quite often, especially in San Diego traffic. Um, on the contrary, repay, um, repay evil with blessing. Because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever among you would love life and see good days, must keep your tongue from evil and your lips from deceitful speech. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. That's one to underline right there. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and the ears are attentive to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. That's a quote from, uh, from Psalm 34. And he goes on and he says, Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. I know that sounds crazy. It's totally countercultural, but that's what he calls us to. And he says, do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Um, we're going to go on to the rest of that next week, so I'm just going to end it right there. But um, check out this video, who, and I'm sorry if it makes you cry. I'm sorry if it gets a little emotional. You can just kind of look away. But um, it got me a little worked up, and so I was like, you guys have to see this because of how much it ties in with this passage and when it talks about suffering, when it talks about loving despite your situation. And so check this out. Hi. Hello. Hi. How are you? I'm awesome. I'm so happy to be here. Oh, we're happy you are. What's your name? My name's Jane. When I sing, I go by Nightbird. Oh, that's nice. Nightbird? That's right. Uh, did you sing, do you sing for a living? Um, not, not recently. Where are you from? I'm from Zanesville, Ohio. Okay. How old are you? I'm 30. 30 years old. And the dream is to be a singer. What are you going to be singing for us tonight? I'm singing an original song called It's Okay. It's Okay. Yeah. It is. It's okay. okay. It's okay. What is It's Okay about? Uh, it's Okay is the story of the last year of my life. All right. And who are you here with? I'm here by myself. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I 
And what do you do for a living? Um, I have not been working for quite a few years. I've been dealing with cancer. Oh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> no, it's okay. Okay. Yeah, I'm okay. All right. Can, can I ask you a question? How are you now? Uh, last time I checked, I had some cancer in my lungs, my spine, and my liver. Wow. So you're not okay? Uh, well, not in every way, no. You got a beautiful smile and a beautiful glow, mm -hmm. and nobody would know. Thank you. It's important that uh, everyone knows I'm so much more than the bad things that yes. happen to me. Yes. All right. Sing for us. Good luck. Nightbird. Change my mind. I thought that all my problems they would stay behind. I was a stick of dynamite, and it just was a matter of time. Yeah. Oh, dang. It's funny because singers come on and, and, I, and I think about authenticity. You know, when you feel it, when it moves you, that felt like the most authentic thing I have heard this season. That was surprising to you. It was powerful, it was heartfelt, and I think you're amazing. 
you gave me chills. I mean, your voice is so beautiful to listen to. It was beautiful all the way around. Your voice is stunning. Mm -hmm. It is. Absolutely stunning. And I, I totally agree with what Howie said, you know, about authenticity. There was something about that song after the way you just almost casually told us what you're going through and, oh, you know. You can't wait until life isn't hard anymore before you decide to be happy. Um. There are, however, there have been some great singers this year. Um, and I'm not going to give you a yes. I'm going to give you something else. is not zero percent. Two percent is something. And I wish people knew how amazing it is. Two percent chance, and that's like her outlook on life. I wanted to show that because um, I think her outlook and how somehow she's been shaped, and I believe that uh, I went on her Instagram and you can kind of see her faith, but um, I think her response to some things that culturally we would think are normal or think are, um, or the normal response to most people would be like, just give up. There's no way. Like, how is that even possible? Um, that quote where she says, it's important to know that I'm so much more than the bad things that happened to me. Um, she knows that she's defined by something more than that. And, and I think as we went through these passages the last couple weeks, there has to be a recognition in our faith where we start to see that we're defined by our identity in Christ. We're not defined by the things that happen to us or the, the context that we find ourselves in. And she's been shaped by that identity. She's been shaped to know that, I mean, I can't imagine 2% chance of living, and that's her response to life is just straight joy. Um, and... Uh, and I think in the midst of that challenge and that I'm sure there's, there's serious challenges in the kind of cancer that she has. And um, I know just like from like listening to some interviews as I started to dig into it and kind of see her story, um, that it's very, very difficult. Like I could not imagine being in her shoes. And I couldn't imagine looking at God and saying, you're awesome. I'm glad for the opportunities that I have. I'm grateful for where you've put me. Um, and she still has this outlook. Um, it's wild. 
And then she says, you can't wait until life isn't hard anymore before you decide to be happy. And I believe that that, again, is another way of being shaped, of recognizing that even though she's been dealt this really horrible hand, she's still choosing to say, Christ is center. Like, and she doesn't say it in there, but she does in other places. Um, and, and recognizes that she's going to decide to be happy. She's going to decide to recognize that God is ultimately in control. And, um, and last week, we talked about this idea of dissonance, where like this way of living, this approach, this kind of response, I believe that the reason, is it Simon Cowell? Is he the one that was like smashing the button, right? So like, I believe that there was something going on in him as he's listening to her story and listening to how she responds to life that had to have spoke to him, right? Um, that when they smash the gold thing, they go straight to the finals. Like, they don't have to go through all the process, I guess. I don't really know a lot about it. That's why I'm, like, kind of cluelessly kind of learning. But when I saw it, I was like, dang, this is a powerful story. But this is, like, a, a, an example of what it looks like to live the way that Peter calls us to live in the midst of challenge, conflict. I know it's not the same kind of persecution that he's writing to uh, as he's writing this letter to people that are facing persecution for being Christians. Um, and, uh, but I believe that the challenges, no matter what they are that we face in life, um, no matter what it is, it's still heavy. It's still difficult. It's still something that we come up against and go, how am I going to get through this, and why does this exist in our world? Um, but it sounds so foreign. It sounds so difficult. It sounds so impossible to respond the way that she did. But yet, when we see that, there's something really beautiful about it, right? That we go, wow, that's like a fresh and breath air. Like, this person is just like, their approach is amazing. Like, I don't get it. Um, and, uh, but this way of life that, that Jesus invites us to, it's it seems very foreign and difficult to step into, but the more we adopt it and the more as disciples we learn to step into it and trust it, it becomes really good. It becomes this really life-changing thing, this transformative thing that is good for us. And maybe you've heard this example, but it's kind of like exercise. I hate exercise, but I know that when I do it, I feel so much better, right? Like I, I move into this place of like better health. And I believe that our faith is the same way. There's parts of it that are difficult to step into. I don't think it's super easy for her to say what she says, but I believe that she's seen the goodness of God and is going to continue to step into that and see that it's, it's transforming life. So in verse 8, right off the bat, he says, finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, and be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil for evil or insult with insult. And I believe that Again, that's a response that is countercultural, the same kind of response that, um, that this girl has. Um, what was her name? I totally forgot. Jane. Um, that Jane has completely owned in her heart that this is a response to the, the situations that she faces is going to be completely different. And, um, and, and that's what Peter says is like, I want you to be like-minded. I want you to be sympathetic. I want you to be loving. Um, love one another, and be compassionate and humble. And I believe that that call to do that is very countercultural. It's very different to even like how I operate, but it is good, right? Because we all recognize that when we've been treated that way, when we have 
respect given back to us, even when I say something rude to my wife and I shouldn't have. And then she responds back with like, I still love you. And I'm like, okay, yeah, that was horrible. I shouldn't have said that, right? That there's something about that response, the way that somebody generously comes at us in a relationship with compassion, with love, with generosity, where we don't repay insult with insult, but we come back with, as he says, like a blessing, that that will transform the world that we live in and it'll transform our lives as well. And so um, what he's doing here, what Peter's writing, is an echo of what Jesus prayed and taught his disciples. And so Peter would have been sitting there listening to Jesus, and this is powerful. Like, I want to share this last prayer that Jesus had with his disciples before he goes to the cross. So if you think about the very last thing that you experience, the last conversation you have with somebody, it's going to be pretty valuable, right? That if like somebody leaves you and it's the very last thing you know that you're going to say to them and they're going to say to you, it's pretty, pretty important. And this is one of the last things that Peter would have heard um, from Jesus. He also has a conversation after the resurrection, resurrection. But before that, this is like the last prayer that Jesus prayed over the disciples. And he says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you and I and I and you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be at one as we are one. I in them, you and me. So poetic so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. This is the prayer that Jesus invites us into and calls us to, that he's like, I want, I want us to be unified. I want us to have this kind of love for one another, the same kind of love that basically Jesus says that, that the Father has for him. He's like, I want to communicate that with others. And what Peter does here is he kind of echoes that same sentiment where he's like, we need to love one another. We need to have this kind of unity because, not just because it's great to have that kind of community in this room and together and where we care for one another, but because then it's going to be a witness to others, right? And that's what Jesus says, so that the world may believe, so that the world will see this and go, wow, that's amazing. The same way that I believe Simon responded to that and went, wow, like, that is, like they all shared, authentic. That's real. That's like the kind of thing we all long for. We just don't see very often. And now they see it on display in Jane's life, and they're like, what the heck? Like, that's amazing. And I believe that when we live this way, when we live as Jesus calls us to live, that when we are unified, um, first of all, in this room together as a community, as a church, um, let alone with other churches, like we have a generation... Uh, a connection with generation that um, most churches won't have, where we're like, we believe in them, they believe in us, we support one another, and we don't believe that we're at odds with one another, like we're unified in this, like we're saying we're all trying to reach our community for the gospel, and so this unity, I think, is so crucial to being a reflection that Jesus and that ultimately Peter writes here in this letter, is like, your response in the midst of suffering and challenges is how the world's going to see truth, is how they're going to see the gospels, how they're going to see new life. So he says, be one, unified in that. And so what I want to do is, um, because some of you may have not been journeying through these passages as we've gotten to this point, I want to give you like a little three-minute 
recap that um, Bible Project does beautifully, um, and then we'll, we'll close with some ideas. But um, just to give some context to the suffering, because I know that this, this idea and this conversation of suffering is a long one. Like, it's not easy. It's not easy to, to take in and adopt into our lives. But when we see the bigger picture of what's happening here and what Peter's teaching, we begin to understand a little bit more. So check this out. Persecution is actually a strange gift because it burns away false hopes and distractions like a purifying fire, and it reminds us of our true home and hope. And so paradoxically, life's hardships actually deepen our faith. They make it more genuine. From here, Peter's going to move on into the body of the letter, but he's going to explore all these ideas in greater depth. So he first develops the theme about the new family identity of God's people. He takes even more memorable Old Testament images about the family of Israel, and then he applies them to these Gentile Christians. So like the Israelites who left Egypt, they too are to gird up their loins and leave behind their former way of life on the way to a new future. So they are the holy people of God now who are journeying through the wilderness. They are the people of the new Exodus who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, who's the ultimate Passover lamb. They are the people of the new covenant who have God's word buried deep inside them, restoring their hearts and renewing their minds. They are the new temple built on the foundation of Jesus himself, and they're the new kingdom of priests who are serving God as his representatives to the nations. Now, by applying all of these amazing images to these persecuted Gentile Christians, Peter is placing their suffering within a brand new story. And this leads into the next section. Their persecution can actually help bring clarity to their mission in the world, to bear witness to God's mercy among the nations. So Peter first encourages them to submit to Roman rule, even if it's oppressive. Yes, he acknowledges their persecution, their suffering is unjust, but violent resistance solves nothing, not to mention that it betrays the teachings of Jesus who loved his enemies instead of killing them. Peter then specifically highlights the very difficult situation that Christian slaves and wives faced when they lived in Roman households where the patriarch did not follow Jesus. The problem was that it was expected that everyone in the household would submit to and worship the patriarch's gods. And so Peter's aware that giving allegiance to Jesus will generate suspicion. So Peter says, it's true. All Christians, including Roman wives and slaves, have been fully liberated by Jesus. But they are to demonstrate that freedom, not through rebellion, but by resisting evil the same way Jesus did, through showing love and generosity to your enemies. And in homes where the husband is also a Christian, it's a different story. They are to treat their wives totally different from their Roman neighbors, regarding them as equals before God who are worthy of honor and respect. And Peter's hopeful that this imitation of Jesus' love and upside-down kingdom will give power to their words as they bear witness to God's mercy and show people the beautiful truth about the way of Jesus. But Peter's also a realist. He knows that Christians will continue to be persecuted, and so he reminds them of their future vindication. He recalls how Jesus himself was unfairly persecuted and murdered by corrupt human powers, but in reality, he was dying for the sins of his enemies. And afterward, he was vindicated and given resurrection life by the Spirit. And now Jesus is exalted as king over all human and spiritual powers. 
Then Peter shows how baptism points to the vindication of Jesus' followers. So like Noah, they've been saved through the waters, not as a magic ritual, but as a sacred symbol that shows their change of heart, their desire to be joined to Jesus in his death and his resurrection. And so now, even if they are murdered for following Jesus, their hope is in future vindication and exaltation alongside their king. So I hope that that starts to give some context, which we're going to get into baptism next week, and we're going to talk about that. Um, But this idea of this restorative process that we are invited into. So you can see that there's this response that we can have to suffering, and in in no way does Peter ever go, it's great, we just enjoy it, it's fun. No, he's like, no, it's wrong, like it shouldn't exist in our world. But we live in a fallen and broken world, and our response to the situations that we encounter can ultimately reflect hope, right? Like, we can be the hope. Like, we get to be that reflection of restorative process in this world. And there's a restorative process that not only happens in our heart, in our lives, but we get to partake in that. Like, every single one of you, as you go into the rest of this day, have an opportunity to be part of this restorative process in your relationships with kids, with people in our community, restaurants, like, our neighborhoods, like where we work, all these different places, we get to be part of that restorative process. And, and what's rad about that initial story that I showed you guys, um, that her life is a reflection of that restorative process. Her life is pointing towards hope. And I'll show another little thing in a second, but the idea of we get to partake in that, we get to be a participants in that is insane and it's beautiful and it's amazing. Um, and, and what it does in our lives is it begins to transform who we are. And, um, and so that restoration process, I want to recognize, isn't easy. It doesn't come easy because we've all been there where you, you can probably head, nod your head and go, yeah, I've been in challenges where I'm like, this is horrible. I do not want to go through this. And maybe you're in the midst of something right now where you're going, I don't know how I'm going to resolve this situation. It's very difficult. But what Jesus does is he says, I want to give you this way to navigate this that doesn't repay evil for evil, that begins to respond in the places where there is injustice to begin to show what love looks like, to begin to be a reflection of that. So we begin to pursue this restoration, which... um, In verse 11, let me read that real quick here. I think it might be on the screen. But in 11, it says, turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. So he's like, turn from the evil. You can, evil exists. He's like, I recognize that. But you can either dwell on the evil or you can dwell on the good that you get to be a part of. On the good that begins to restore this world, to bring new life to the world around us. Um, And ultimately that, that restoration process, like, I believe that somehow woven into, like, how we exist, that there is a, there's a challenge, there's a difficulty, right? Um, I think of every movie that exists, um, there's always a challenge. Every good story, there's a challenge. I've never seen a movie, um, or maybe you guys have seen one, I don't know, but um, where everything started out great, the person succeeded at everything they were doing, and then it ended with they continue to succeed and be awesome. We wouldn't watch that movie. That's boring. Like, there's nothing interesting in that. We'd ultimately want that, yes. But in that process of going through that restoration process, we see um, 
I think, God's beauty in the midst of that. Um, and we, we get to distinguish between what is good and what is evil. And we get to see those things. Um, how do we begin to step into this? He throws a little response in there. He says, always be prepared. And that's what I want to close with is, how do we begin to step in this restoration process? I think it's always be prepared to have a theological understanding of every single argument. Just kidding. Entire sanctification, you should have that whole thing, you know, dialed in. Um, all these theological things, no, it has nothing to do with that. He says, have an answer for the hope that is in you. That's it. He doesn't say have like a full theological framework, have like books and stuff that you could hand to people. Like he says, no, like your response, like what's amazing, how we begin to restore is you share how you've experienced hope in your life. So I've experienced it in my life over the years where like, like high school, I was messed up. Like I know that like the things, the choices that I was making were horrible. And the way that God began to like, interject in my life and begin to step into my life brought goodness about the relationships that I had. It brought healing to the way that I viewed life. There were so many things that were restored in me. Like the list is, it's super long and he's still doing that in my life. And that's the story that I get to share with other people. You all have a different story that you can share with other people. Challenges that you faced where you're like, God stepped in and either provided for me healed, took care of me, or maybe it's someone else's story that you're connected to that brought healing, we get to share that. That's the hope that we get to share with other people. And so um, I think the solution is have an answer for the hope that is in you. And I want to show this last clip because this was an interview with Jane that she had um, after this whole thing happened. And this is kind of her response to everything that's going on. Check this out. The last one, a cover of Don't Stop Believing. If something so impossibly catastrophic and unimaginably awful can happen, then doesn't it also mean that something impossibly beautiful and impossibly redemptive can happen? Like, if we believe that evil exists in our world and all this destruction can take place, I love what she says. Don't we also believe that something good can take place? Don't we also believe that something great can come out of all of that, that we can begin to push back that darkness, that we can begin to step in and bring this kind of hope that Peter talks about, that ultimately he's reflecting from Jesus? Um, we get this opportunity to step in and bring this redemptive um, process we get, to, we get to bring it to light, basically. We get to be involved in it, and we get to shine light on that. And so if you need to be reminded of that today, that this is something like the relationship, the hope that you've received in Christ um, is transformed, has transformed your life, and it's good news for other people, then awesome. Um, if you need that right now, then I would say, yes, like, be reminded. Be reminded that we need to have that hope, and we need to be reminded that God is stepping in and pushing back that darkness continually. And he works in and through us to do that. Um, that we begin to find that freedom, but not only do we find it, we get to be participants in helping others be set free. Others begin to experience that hope uh, and that joy that comes from knowing Jesus. And so let me close a prayer and just um, as a reminder, um, he says basically just do this, bring that hope with gentleness and respect. 
And that's my prayer is that as we go into the rest of this day, because um, I don't know what tomorrow's going to look like, but today, what's, what are we going to do to bring this kind of hope with gentleness and respect to the places that he's invited us into, whether it's just our families, maybe it's just starting there, um, or maybe it's our neighborhood, maybe it's our jobs, I don't know. Um, but being aware of that and being in tune with the fact that God wants to work through us in bringing this um, this full redemption to the world that we live in, uh, that he uses us. It's crazy. So let me pray. Lord, thank you so much for um, people like Jane, um, people who have demonstrated what it means to have hope in the midst of despair, in the midst of a challenge, in the midst of a difficulty. Um, Thank you for these words that Peter uh, writes um, that we get to read even thousands of years later that are still just as true, um, just as transformative. and, and we get to experience that. Thank you, Jesus, that you step into our lives and uh, you invite us to not only be set free, but begin to be part of what it means to help others see what it looks like to experience freedom, to experience hope. Um, and so use us powerfully as we walk into the rest of this day, as we leave this place, work in and through us, um, that we might with gentleness and respect um, step into these places that um, you've called us to. And we pray this in your name. Amen.